So I need to take a poll really quick here. I need to kind of figure out where you're going to land here. So you can honk, you can shout, you can wave, however you want to let me know where you're going to fall. So I need to know if you are the kind of person who when you go on vacation, you need to just rest. Like you need to do nothing, maybe sit by the beach or sit by the pool and just let your cares melt away. Like let me know who is like that. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. All right, I figured a lot of you. Now, Now, who is kind of the opposite? Like, who likes to be active? Who needs to kind of do something? You can't really sit still. Like, who, who needs to do activities? Oh, night service. See, these are my people right here. Like, I can't sit still. Like, I need to be active. I start feeling unproductive when I just sit around. Like, sure, I need like a day or two on my breaks to like lay around, but really I got to do something. The only thing is like, you don't want too much activity. You don't want to like hike the Himalayas on a vacation. That's not a vacation. That's like an expedition. And you kind of need to budget in that like post-vacation vacation where you come home from like eight days in Disney. You just walked like 14 miles a day. You got to like take another week off just to like sleep it all away. So like, man, this is how I like to vacation. And it got me thinking as I was thinking about it this week, what were you like over quarantine? Like at the height of this quarantine, when you were stuck in your house, were you the active type or were you the inactive type? Like night service, I saw some of you, you were out there hustling, like you're door dashing, you became a DoorDash driver, Uber Eats driver. You started that Etsy shop, that Instagram business. You're taking online classes, reading books. And then there were the rest of you. Y'all know who you are. You like found the end of Netflix. Like, like the end of Netflix. You found that part of Netflix that was like the movies that got rejected from Hallmark because Hallmark was like, this isn't good enough to make our channel. And Netflix like, yeah, we'll throw it at the bottom. You started getting like invested in real estate shows where you're like, man, I hope they find their dream home. You're like falling asleep in front of the TV at 4 p.m. with a bag of Cheetos on your chest. That may or may not have happened to me. I'm not gonna let that on. But, but the truth is like some of us did nothing. And I'm not trying to dog on you because in reality, I used to be just like this. When I would come home from school, like on Christmas break, I would just spend a month doing nothing. Like I would come home, I'd be like, yes, I'm gonna sleep. I'm gonna eat whatever I want. I'm not even gonna get dressed today. I'm just gonna do nothing. And I thought it would be great. And then I would go back to school a month later. My friends would be like, hey, how was your break? What did you do? Did you get a lot of rest? And I'd be like, I guess I did. Like, I think so, but, but the truth is I kind of feel more tired. I kind of feel maybe a little bit more anxious. I kind of feel more gross than I did before. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Like, if you do this enough where you just kind of do nothing all day, you almost feel worse than you did when you started. Like, you almost feel more tired, more drained. And so I started to think to myself, like, is this all that rest has for me? Like, is this the only kind of rest that I can find on this planet? And so I started thinking, man, I am really bad at rest. And then I started to look around at my friends and at my community. I was like, no, we're really bad at rest. Like this is kind of the only rest that people really engage in. Like we as a people are bad at rest. And see what I like to call this kind of rest is I like to call it cheap rest. See, because an aspect of it is restful, right? Like you need sleep. Sometimes you get backlogged on sleep, like you gotta catch up, you need to take a day to reset, to start over. But, but the truth is, when this is the only kind of rest you've built into your schedule, when this is the only routine of rest, it ends up being cheap. It ends up feeling, uh, leaving you feeling worse off than it, you did when you started. 
It's cheap rest. Why would we settle for cheap rest? See, there are cheap things in life that you just don't want to settle for, right? Like there, you don't want cheap steak. Cheap steak is chewy. It's dry. You don't want a cheap haircut because they look bad. You don't want a cheap car because it's going to break down. You don't want a cheap cell phone because it's going to be unreliable. And you don't want cheap rest because cheap rest is going to leave you feeling worse than you did before. And see, when you settle for cheap rest, you are settling for something when you can have something so much greater. When you settle for cheap rest, you are robbing yourself of the opportunity to have real and meaningful godly rest. And you might be wondering, okay, like, well, what does that mean? Like, what is real godly rest? Because here's the thing. I believe that there is a picture of rest in the Bible that is different from what our culture tells us, different from the rest that we are accustomed to. And I think that God, when he was creating human life, when he was designing the way that human beings would enjoy and flourish in their lives, rest was a key component to that. And that's where we're going today. That's what we're going to explore today. And so if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that two things will happen for you tonight. First, I hope that you'll gain just a better understanding of some aspects of the Christian faith. Like maybe you have Christian friends or Jewish friends and you hear them talk about the Sabbath and you hear them talk about rest. And you're like, ah, it's just religious people being weird again. Like, and I hope that you'll walk away with a better understanding of some of these aspects. But more than that, I hope that you will see Jesus for who he is. You will see how he has revolutionized rest and your affections for him will begin to stir up inside of you that as you leave this property tonight, you will begin to say to yourself, I need to know more about who this Jesus is. So that's my hope for you today. That's where we're going here tonight. And so we are going to be in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is one of my favorite books in scripture. It's my favorite book in the New Testament. And the reason it's my favorite book in the New Testament is because I'm an Old Testament nerd. And so was the author of Hebrews, right? Like the author of Hebrews spends his whole time outlining Old Testament theology for a New Testament people. And what's interesting about the book is that the author of Hebrews is a mystery. Like, we don't know. That's going to be my top question when I get to heaven is, God, who wrote Hebrews? And you can go down that rabbit hole, but the truth is, is that the message of the book doesn't change based on who wrote it. And so tonight, we're just going to talk, uh, refer to him as the author of Hebrews because the message of the book still remains that Jesus is God's full and final revelation of himself and that Jesus is the truer and better fulfillment of these Old Testament themes and ideas like Moses, the prophets, and the priesthood. Theologians will often call Hebrews the book of better things because it takes painstaking detailed time to line out for the reader that Jesus is the better fulfillment of these Old Testament ideas. He is the truer and better Moses, the truer and better priesthood, the truer and better prophet. And maybe you're wondering, okay, but what does that have to do with rest? And see, in Hebrews 4, the author is going to begin to talk about rest, and he does so by breaking down Psalm 95 for his readers. And so Psalm 95 is about the Israelites who were led out of Egypt into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. But the author of Psalm 95 begins to talk about how these Israelites who were rescued out of Egypt were disobedient, they were hard of heart, they were faithless towards God, and as a result, they were not able to enter God's promised land for them. 
that God literally waited for them to die off in the wilderness before leading the nation into the promised land. And for the Israelites, the promised land represented rest for them. See, this is a major theme in the Old Testament. When you think promised land, I want you to think rest, a place of rest for the Israelites. And so the author of Psalm 95 is fleshing out this idea that there were some who were not able to enter God's rest. And the author of Hebrews is going to pick up on this idea as he begins to talk about rest to this New Testament people. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, Since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we have also received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. And so off the bat, the writer begins to bring this into a New Testament context for his readers. And he does so by talking about the Israelites who did not enter God's rest. He doesn't even say the promised land. He just talks about God's rest, God's rest, because promised land equals rest. And he's warning his readers. He's saying, hey, don't fall into the same pattern of the Israelites. Just a little side note, you can take this for free. If you're ever doing your quiet time in the Old Testament, like you're in the book of Judges, you're in the book of uh, Exodus or Deuteronomy, you're like, man, I don't know what the application point is. I don't really know what to take away from this. It's almost always do the opposite of the Israelites. Like if you're really stretching for some sort of application, you could just safely assume just do the opposite of the Israelites because they're always screwing up. They're always messing up. And the same thing is happening here. The Israelites grew faithless, they grew disobedient, and they grew hard of heart toward God, and they were not able to enter his rest. And in the same way, the author of Hebrews is warning his readers, if you grow hard of heart, if you deny God in favor of yourself, you will not enter his rest. And he's not talking about a promised land because we're not waiting for a physical piece of land. Like God gave us his property, but this isn't the promised land for us. We are waiting for an eternal rest that we will one day have in heaven. And so the author is warning people, if you harden your heart against God, if you uh, deny God in favor of yourself, you will not get to enter into the eternal rest of heaven with Jesus. And I don't want you to mishear me because I do not believe that the author is saying like, if you screw up once, if you mess up, like that's it, you're out of heaven. Like that's not what he's saying. He's talking to people who acknowledge the truth of who God is. They hear the message of the gospel. They acknowledge it as truth, but they deny it in favor of themselves. That's why he says the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with those who heard it in faith. They heard the message, but they didn't hear it in faith. And then he says, for we who have believed entered the rest. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are earmarked for heaven. You are destined for heaven. You will spend eternity with him. But if you are not, I plead with you today. Do not deny him in favor of yourself. Do what you have to do. Like, wrestle through what you got to wrestle with. Throw all your doubts out there. Throw all your questions out there. Walk alongside someone. Really struggle. Really wrestle. But when you come to the end of it, when you face the truth of who God is, I plead with you, do not deny him. And this isn't to scare you. This isn't a hellfire message. This is just coming from the heart of, I just want to see you in heaven one day. I, want, I don't want you to miss out on the eternity that we're going to have in Jesus. 
And for Christians, like, we're not off the hook either. Like, this isn't just a free pass for us to do what we want. Like, just because we're not at risk at losing heaven, we're still at risk at missing earthly blessings. The Israelites were disobedient, and as a result, they did not get to enter the blessing of the promised land. And in the same way, when you and I walk in disobedience, when we refuse to walk in closeness with the Father, we are at risk at missing out on blessings. I'm not saying that God is gonna withhold things from you. I'm not saying that he is punishing you for something. What I am saying is, is that abundant lives are almost always marked by obedience. Every abundant life, every man and woman that I've ever seen, like, man, I wanna, they're ripping it for Jesus, man. They are awesome, they're killing it. Like they have an abundant life. They are marked by a life that is obedient to the will of the Father. Blessing almost always is a result of obedience. And so we look forward to this rest that we will one day have in heaven. And we keep in mind that earthly blessing is a result of obedience to the will of the Father. And so I want to keep moving into verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he said again, he, spe- he specified a certain day. Today, he specified this, speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And there's a lot going on here, but what I want to focus in on for a moment is how he brings up the creation narrative when talking about rest. Like, I don't know if you caught that, but on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. That's talking about creation, that God worked, he created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And this is an idea that courses its way through the scriptures. In Exodus 20, when God is giving the Ten Commandments to his people, he says, hey, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, for on the seventh day I, work, I rested from my works, and so you should rest as well. And this isn't some rule to keep you downtrodden. This isn't some rule to control you. It's actually a wonderful principle that should excite you because our, our rhythm of rest, our routine of rest is rooted in God's own very actions in creation. And as we're gonna see in just a second, it's rooted in this idea of joy and enjoyment. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but why would God rest on the seventh day? Like, have you ever thought about this? Like, God is God. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. Like, he doesn't need to take a break. So why rest on the seventh day? And I think it's because God likes to enjoy the things that he's created. Like, God's not a workaholic. He doesn't just work, 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 work. No, he likes to take time to enjoy. That's why in Genesis 3, He steps into the garden at the cool of the day to walk in the garden with man. Why? Because he likes to enjoy the things that he's created. And so what he's telling us is, hey, when you rest, you should build this routine of enjoyment into your life, that it should be a rhythm of work hard and enjoy, work hard and enjoy, not just work, 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 not just accumulate, but those things that you've worked for, take time to enjoy them. Take time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. See, this is a huge part of rest that we miss out on. This is why God calls us to have a Sabbath day. This is why it's not just about resting every once in a while. He's literally calling you to have a rhythm, a weekly reoccurring day of rest, not to keep you down, not to stop you from hustling, but to get you to enjoy the fruits of your labor. 
And what I want to do for a second is break and talk about these two really pervasive issues going on in the church today and how I think that this rhythm of rest, this routine of rest, actually brings balance to these two ideas. See, the first that is all over the church in North America right now is the called what many are calling the prosperity gospel which is this idea that if you are a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, everything is gonna be perfect. Like you're never gonna get sick. You're never gonna have a bad day. You're gonna have all the money you could ever want. You're gonna have all the stuff, any car you could ever want. Like God is your divine ATM machine. You can just go to him, punch in your digits and get your check. And it makes an idol out of stuff. It makes an idol out of material. It makes an idol out of accumulation. And it sounds a little silly when I say it like this, but what people will do is they'll twist scripture to make it sound convincing. And the idol is stuff. The idol is materials. The idol is money. But what's funny is it's all about accumulation. It's all about enjoyment, but there's no work. It's all about, hey, enjoy. Spend all this money. Get to do all this stuff. Enjoy your life. But you don't ever work for it. And then there's been this overcorrection in the other direction, right? That many people are now calling the poverty gospel. And the poverty gospel is this idea that if in order for you to really be a Christian, if you really want to be a Jesus follower, you got to get rid of all your stuff. You got to give away all your material possessions. You got to basically live like a poor hermit. And if you have anything, if you enjoy any material possessions, if you enjoy any of your income, then you are sinful. That is sinful of you to do. And it places a, a high value on generosity and a high value on working hard, but to enjoy anything is sinful. And so it's all about work, 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 but there's no enjoyment. And, and, and I don't know if you see this, but it makes material possessions and money an idol just in the other direction. While the prosperity gospel makes an idol out of the accumulation of money, poverty gospel makes an idol out of the ridding oneself of money. And both of these radical ideas, I think, are brought to a balance in this rhythm of rest that we can work hard. It is good to work hard. It is good to put in effort. And it is also good to enjoy the things that you've worked for. It's not just work, 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 accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. No, it is about work hard and enjoy, work hard and enjoy. And generosity is a part of this. Like, I hope you realize that it is not generous of you to begrudgingly give, when you give, whether it's money, whether it's time, whatever it is, if you do it begrudgingly, if you don't want to actually be doing it, it's not generosity. Generosity is when you invite other people into your enjoyment. See, so what you do is you work hard and you enjoy, and as you enjoy, you invite other people into the enjoyment that you are having. So I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago, Doug brought out his adorable new puppy, Chewy most cute, cutest dog in the whole world. Got more Instagram followers than I'll ever have. And, and, and he said that this dog was a gift to their family by a family friend. And I think it's so funny. It would be so ridiculous to think of this family friend of theirs like being upset about gifting them a dog. Like I don't think they were driving to pick up the puppy and was like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. And every time they scroll through Instagram, they're like, oh, I can't believe we bought the Jansons a dog. No, of course not. They worked hard and they were able to invite other people into their enjoyment, right? Like dogs are expensive. It's not a cheap gift. That's not like, like getting someone like a water bottle. Like, no, you got them a dog. Like that's, that's not a cheap gift. But, in, but instead of being begrudging about it, they invited people into their enjoyment. 
generosity is inviting people in. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's getting someone a dog. Maybe it's throwing this huge Labor Day barbecue where you just invite your whole neighborhood over and you say, no one bring anything. I'm just gonna bless you. We're gonna feed you. We're gonna, we're gonna laugh together. We're gonna have a great time. And we just wanna enjoy together. We wanna invite you into our enjoyment. We miss out on this when we settle for cheap rest, when we don't work in a regular routine of enjoyment. I'll keep moving to verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, since a, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And he switches gears away from creation and back toward the Israelites, right? Like he was on the Exodus and the promised land, then he went to creation, now he's back on Joshua. And what I think he's getting at here is that rest is not just physical. Like I want you to see that rest is not just an activity. He's act, it's actually a state of being. It's not just something you participate in. It's something that you enter into. And this is pictured incredibly well in the Exodus. And that's why I think the author is kind of pointing his readers there. See, and actually in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are given for a second time. And they're almost identical to the time that they are given in Exodus. But in the second giving of the Ten Commandments, there is a difference in the Sabbath. God says, keep the Sabbath holy. Remember it because I led you out of the land of Egypt. And what he's saying is, I led you from a place of bondage. I led you from a place of, of slavery, a place of being at odds with God. And I led you into a place of rest. The Exodus is this incredible picture of being led out of bondage and into rest. And that is just a glimpse at what we have in Jesus. That in Jesus' death and resurrection, we were rescued out of our bondage and we have been ushered into a state of rest from our sin. And when I say rest from our sin, I don't mean like a break. I don't mean like, oh, I'm taking a break from my sin. I mean like, well, you are in a state of rest. You were once at odds with God. You were once in an eternal struggle with yourself and now you are free. Now you are at peace. You are at rest. God is calling you to walk into that rest from your sin, that you have freedom, that you have newness of life through Jesus' death and re resurrection on your behalf. And the thing is, you don't have to wait until heaven. Like many of us have this idea that we will get that final rest, we will get that final freedom in heaven where there's no more tears and no more suffering and no more sin and no more shame. And sure, that's true, but you can walk in that rest right now. You can walk in that freedom and newness of life right now when you walk in obedience to the Father. And so what we've done here is we've talked about three different kinds of rest. The first being the rest that we will one day enter into in heaven, the second being the rest that we can get on a routinely basis when we enjoy the things that we've worked for, and the third being the rest that we can step into right now in the freedom and the newness of life that we have in Jesus. And see, I hope that you're noticing here that there is a tension in these three elements of rest, right? Like there, there's a little bit of tension because part of it feels like it's already been accomplished, but there's another part of it that feels like it's not yet been fulfilled. 
And there is this idea, there's this theological concept when people talk about the kingdom of God called already not yet. I want everyone on the count of three to say already not yet. One, two, three, already not yet. See, there is this idea that the kingdom of God has already been accomplished in Jesus, yet it has not yet reached its final fulfillment. And in the same way, the rest that we walk in has already been accomplished. There is a part of it that we can already be walking in when we um, walk in obedience and walk in the newness of life and the rest from our sin. And when we routinely set aside time to work hard and enjoy. Yet there is an aspect of it that's not yet, that we look forward to the rest that we will one day have in heaven. See, when we rest as a godly people, when we rest as a people of God, we do it knowing that our rest is already not yet. A true rest is already not yet. And when you think that, when you maybe write that in your notes or put a little star next to it because and point it back, already not yet, that we can walk in newness of life right now, that we can enjoy the fruits of our labor right now, but we look forward to the rest that we will have in heaven. And so when talking about how do we do this, like how do we practically implement this into our lives. I have three application words that I want you guys to remember. Enjoy, obey, and celebrate. Enjoy, obey, and celebrate. First, we enjoy. We set aside this time, this rhythm and routine to work hard, but enjoy the things that we've worked for. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. It does look like sometimes taking a vacation every once in a while, right? And maybe it means sitting on the beach doing nothing. That's beautiful when the mindset is, I worked hard to get to enjoy this. Or maybe it's a routinely a routine hobby for you. And I hope that you have that. I hope that you have something in your life that you can be enjoying on a weekly basis. Hiking, fishing, sailing. I don't know what it is for you. It's kind of funny. For me, I almost do something that like to the world seems like the least restful thing on my day of rest, on my Sabbath. See, for a lot of us who work here at church, like we don't get to Sabbath on Sundays because we're here and we're here early and we stay late. And so for me, I take my Sabbath on Mondays and in the fall, I love to go hunting. And so what I'll do is I'll get home from church at like midnight. I'll wake up at like 4 a.m. I'll drive an hour out east. I'll climb a tree in the dark. Sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable and I'm there for hours on end and I'll come home and I'll sleep and I'll be exhausted. But at the same time, there is an aspect of it that is so restful for me that I get to enjoy God's creation, that I get to partake in a hobby that I love so much, that I get to enjoy silence and being unplugged and, and meditate on scripture and maybe pray for an hour or two on end. So I don't know what it is for you, but, but whatever it is, take time to enjoy it. Take time to enjoy the things that you've worked for. Second thing that we do is we obey. And what I mean is, is that if you want to experience freedom from your sin, you need to be walking in obedience to the Father. Like you will never experience that state of rest, that state of freedom, that fullness, that newness of life that Jesus has for you if you are not walking in closeness, if you are not walking in obedience with Jesus. And so I don't know what it is you have to cut out, but maybe tonight's the night that you do it. Maybe you go back and you listen to the Battle of the Victory series that we just finished up here together. And you do what you gotta do to start walking in obedience again to experience that rest from your sin right here, right now that Jesus has for you. 
And the third thing we do is we celebrate. It's no coincidence that for Christians, the Sabbath is on Sunday and church is on Sunday. Like, that's not just a a happy coincidence. It's because built into our routine of rest is this idea that we gather together as a family, as a body, to celebrate what it is that Jesus has done for us and to celebrate the rest that we will one day have in heaven with him. And so, man, make this a part of your routine. Gather with your friends. Gather with your family and celebrate. Do it at church, but also do it in your homes. It's not about a day of the week. It's not about gathering in a building or on a field. Invite people over, have a a potluck dinner that rotates houses every week. I don't know what that looks like for you, but take time to celebrate the rest that we will one day have in heaven. Let's set aside time to rest and let's do it by enjoying, obeying, and celebrating. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you just heard a whole lot about rest. And I hope that maybe you walk away with something cool. Like maybe you're like, oh, I want to try that. I want to implement that. I want to get back into that hobby. And that's great. Like I hope maybe you walk away with that. But more than that, I hope that you see how Jesus has revolutionized rest and has revolutionized the human experience. That Jesus, who is God, came to earth to die on a cross for your sins. And he rose again to purchase you back from your slavery, from your bond to sin and to one day usher you into heaven but to give you rest and give you freedom right here, right now. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus has access to that rest today. And maybe you're like, I need that. Like, I don't need physical rest but you're like, I, uh, my life is a mess right now. Like, you don't even understand. Like, I'm not in control. I don't know what's going on. Man, I am in need of some sort of rest. Like, something's got to give. Something's got to break and I'm telling you here today that Jesus has purchased that rest for you and if you want to put your trust in him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. Let's enjoy. Let's obey. Let's celebrate. Even right now, as we're about to go into one last song of worship, would we celebrate together as a body, as a family? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that your word addresses things even like rest, and it completely revolutionizes this idea of rest. Takes something physical and makes it better. It takes something physical and makes it spiritual. That you've purchased a better rest for us, Jesus. God, I pray that you would show us how to better enjoy the fruits of our labor, that you would teach us to walk in obedience with you so that we can experience the newness of life that we have in you, God, and that you would lead us to celebrate together as a people, as a body. If you want to put your trust in Jesus, you can pray something with me just like this. God, I am in need of rest. Not physical rest, but rest from my sin and rest from my shame. I believe that you died for me and rose again on the third day. Would you come into my heart and would you change my life? If you prayed that, I just ask that you would reach out to somebody. If someone brought you to church today, would you let them know on the drive home or text them when you get home? If not, would you let one of us know on the way out? Would you download the app and fill out a connection card or maybe go to the website and email us? Because I would personally love to walk through that with you. God, thank you for this beautiful night for an incredible time of worship that we get to have together and for your word that stirs us on to a better rest. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.
You guys can feel free to stand with us tonight.